Well, church, it is again a joy for us to continue on in our Hope Initiative series as we have been contemplating this wonderful blessing. Romans uh, 15, 13 tells us, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's been our singular prayer in this season, that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about this uh, notion of fullness and fulfillment in recent weeks. We've talked about the mission statement of Christ last week, uh, and we've been inviting you to find your hope initiative and uh, to try to help in that uh, endeavor. Uh, we've got our website that we've put together that has some of the partnering ministries that we are doing. Uh, your Hope Initiative does not have to be limited to that, but we pray that you'll find the place in which you can say, I am seeing the kingdom of God advanced uh, by God's grace. And so uh, last week we talked about making room for hope and seeing the different ways in which God is enabling us as a church family to do that even as we go through this difficult season. And uh, I left you last week with three critical questions. We talked about, does your church believe and honor and follow the teachings of the Bible? Does your church love people and long for them to know Jesus? And then finally, are the people in your church willing to sacrifice to the point that they would joyfully embrace change? And that is that, that word that evokes quite a response uh, in a lot of folks, and I know some of you even said, man, where are you going with this? What are you, what are you asking me to do? What does this mean? Uh, and I want to simply encourage you, this is not about a fear response uh, that would say, oh, great, you know, what's he going to be asking me to do now? I don't want to invoke that in you. You know, now we're going to be worshiping on the roof or doing something, uh, something else that is going to feel absurd. Uh, but let it invoke a faith response in you to simply ask the question, what is Jesus uniquely positioning us to do now? You see, hope initiative and, and the word hope itself is always positioned for forward looking. And I think that's, a, that's an appropriate segue as we think about a new season that we're coming into as we have turned the calendar over into a new month. Uh, month of March supposed to come in like a lamb and go out like a lion or something like that. Uh, I love this season, actually. I woke up, I was up real nice and early the other day before the sun, and all of a sudden, it started getting bright. The sun started coming up, and I just thought, this is so great. It's not pitch black until 7 in the morning anymore. So we, we love that. It's getting a little bit uh, lighter. Uh, days are getting a little bit longer. Uh, we're coming into some new challenges. In fact, this week, we've been talking a lot with our staff about reopening phases, dialing things back up. What are we going to start doing live, and how soon, and uh, I know many of you are anxious for that, so we're coming into these new seasons. Be patient as we unfold some of these, uh, these new steps. We're going to continue to get there together, which is exactly what we want to do. Um, and then the other thing, sort of when I think about newness in this phase, I want to just take a few moments at the front end of this message to acknowledge new leaders that we have uh, coming into various roles in our church. Uh, I am so thankful for the leadership that God has provided for us here, the fact that we do have a true team uh, of staff and elected and appointed leaders. Uh, and today's message and the subsequent message uh, next week, I would like to really dedicate uh, to them uh, as we kind of link arms in this time of the year and give leadership uh, and serve the church in various ways. Uh, so, so just to acknowledge a couple of uh, those leadership teams uh, with you today, uh, I brought a picture of our current staff team 
And uh, we're so thankful for each of these leaders and the ways in which God has uniquely uh, gifted them to serve us here at the church, at our church family. Uh, each one of these men and women just give incredible godly leadership, and I love seeing the work of Christ through them. Uh, but maybe even more, I love seeing the work of Christ in each one of them. Uh, what I'd like to do today is I would also like to introduce you to some of our newly elected leaders. Uh, now, the fact of the matter is, if we were doing this live, we'd probably have them come up and stand up in front of the church and bless them. We can't do that in the normal ways this year. Uh, and so let me introduce them to you, but with a little caveat that we have a significant group of elected and appointed leaders who, who serve our church faithfully. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to cover every one of those names and faces today, but I'd rather simply ask that you would prayerfully support the men and the women who serve in these various roles. Uh, if you don't know who they are, we have the business report from this year's uh, membership meeting, and we'd love to make that available to you. It's on our website so that you can see all of those names and get to know some of those people and know who you're praying for. Uh, but let me introduce to you some of the newly elected leaders that we have today. Uh, Chris Cunningham and Phil Savage have been elected to our elder board, so they are coming into a new term with us there. Uh, we have Kristen Ashton, Sherry Hoyt, and Barb Ryan, who are all coming into new roles with our deaconess team, helping out with a lot of the hospitality uh, and needs here in our church family. We have Tim Hurd and Nate Ashton, uh, who are helping with our deacon board, and then finally Steve Chichester, uh, who's joining our trustee board. So these are all new elections this year. We thank God for these folks. We thank God for their stories, uh, their gifts that they're putting into circulation. What a wonderful joy. It reminds me of Romans 12, 5, which says that so in Christ, uh, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. And we just see the Lord knitting together an incredible team of leaders here. Church, I'd also like to just take a moment to honor uh, some of our folks that I know they, they're not asking for recognition and they don't want their names to be held, but we actually have a thing in our bylaws that says that someone who serves for nine consecutive years in an area is now no longer eligible to serve. They have to take a year off. But when those people come to that time, I think it's so appropriate for us to just simply pause and say thank you. So I'm gonna give a, thank, a special thanks today to Dale Moeller, who has finished nine years in serving with our elder board, to Bob Whitaker, who has given nine excellent years of service with our deacon board, uh, and to Emery Enscore and to Dave Bowers, who have finished nine years serving consecutively as our financial officers. Uh, some of these guys are stepping now into some new roles, but as we honor them uh, for completing these uh, nine-year stints, that is not a small thing, and we are deeply, deeply grateful for their service. So as I mentioned, the messages this week and next, we are dedicating to our elected and appointed and staff leadership teams here at State College Alliance Church. And in that spirit, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of this chapter this week, and then I'll be finishing the chapter next week. 2 Timothy chapter 2 reads this way. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier 
of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So church, the the message that we're bringing, the title is Leading Toward Hope. And I want to start by just giving a a couple little tidbits, if you will, about leadership. Uh, First of all, I want you to know I believe that every Christ follower has a sphere of influence and every Christ follower has a mission to fulfill. I also believe very, very strongly that leadership is ultimately not determined by a title. So if leadership is influence, and if every Christ follower has a sphere of influence, then how you lead matters. In in many ways, we we could acknowledge the fact that we are recreating ourselves or recreating something through our leadership all of the time. This reality should cause us great humility as we look in the mirror. And so may our influence point to the person of Christ. Now, if you're tempted to check out and say, well, I'm not an appointed leader, I'm not an elected leader, I'm certainly not on staff, so what is the point of this for me? Well, if every person in Christ has a sphere of influence, I believe there are things that every one of us can and should glean from this wonderful passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Paul's teaching to Timothy, his writing to Timothy, in three phases. I want to look at your leg of the relay, I want to look at an invitation to pain, that sounds sort of fun, and then finally the ultimate pursuit. So let's begin with your leg of the relay. Now, I don't know if there is anything more agonizing than watching a relay team in that pivotal moment when the one runner is coming around and he's got to get the the, the baton to the next runner, and when you see that baton drop, I do not know if there is anything harder to view than that. All of the training that's been done, all of the preparation, this is the thing, these are the things that go on in my mind. All of the work that has gone into this one pivotal moment, and then in that moment, everything can unravel all of that preparation that has been done. You know, I've never been a professional relay race uh, runner. I've never competed at a high level with those kind of things beyond gym class or whatever when I was a kid. But let's face it, the the fact of the matter is when you're running in a race like that, you've got two jobs. You've got to run your race well, and then you've got to pass the baton well. If you run well, you give a great advantage to your team. If you pass the baton well, you set the next person up for success. But failure in either of those areas will take out the whole team. That is just one of the most heartbreaking things to see, especially when someone has come 
to the place of great preparation and, and getting to that point, only to fail in the handoff. Well, I want to encourage you today, when you think about your leg of a relay, I, I think it's probably one of the best metaphors that actually frees us in incredible ways from undue pressure when we are trying to lead well for the cause of Christ. The very simple fact of the matter is this. No matter what job you are doing, no matter what role you are filling, somebody else is going to do that job. And if we're going to lead toward hope, we absolutely, we got to run well, but we have to understand that we are going to pass the baton along. Uh, I love this passage of Scripture, and just to give a little bit of uh, background to it, Paul is writing this letter most likely during his second imprisonment in Rome, and very much near the end of his life. I don't know how aware of all of that he was, but when you hear sort of the tender way in which he's addressing Timothy, he's saying this, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust these things to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. We see very, very clearly in Paul's possibly final instruction to Timothy a strong understanding of what I have done. I want to pass on to you, but I don't want you just to hold on to it yourself. I want you to pass it on to other people. Find reliable folks that will then be able to continue to pass it on. So the relay race is actually a powerful, powerful metaphor. Now let me ask you just to, to reflect on this for a moment. What would you write if you were, if you were given a, a piece of paper and a pen and said, you know, this is going to be your last communication to someone that you love? You would be thoughtful. You would be deeply personal. You would probably sift through a whole lot of lesser priorities to come to the place of saying, you know what, here's the big ones. Here's the things that I really want to leave behind. And that's exactly what we see Paul doing in writing this letter. He's basically saying, I'm on my last lap, and I want to pass this well. You know, this whole notion of a relay race, again, it's so freeing. Because when you say, you know what, this is not ultimately dependent on me, but I want to run my race well, I want to make that transition well when the time comes, the place that the metaphor breaks down, especially in Christian circles, is you actually get to do a lot of laps. You may run your lap and then pass the baton off to somebody else, and then you may find yourself gifted and given an opportunity to do something else. So we don't do a one-and-done kind of deal. In fact, we love to see people continuing to serve, but the nature of your race will develop and it will change over time. Some of us that are, that are getting older, uh, I'm kind of in this, this sort of middle-of-the-road age now as I'm in my 40s, so I've got a lot of people younger than me, and I want to make it my goal to be passing batons to them. I want to be equipping. I want to be inspiring. I want to be encouraging them in their race that they are either running now or about to run soon. There are others who are handing the baton off to me. So we follow this thing again and again. The older we get, the more we think about who is coming behind us. But somebody else is going to do this job. Another thing that I find to be just actually really freeing when I think about the metaphor of the relay race is that if the author of Hebrews is correct, what he says about Jesus is that he is the author and finisher 
of my faith. So that means I actually get the joy of running my race, running hard for Christ, running hard in the things that he has called me to do in this season, but I'm actually joining Christ in the victory lap of the race that he's already run. That is just such a powerful thing. Again, it takes the pressure off my uh, importance of performance. Yeah, I may preach this message great. I may stumble and fall and, and mess it up. But you know what? Christ has already won the victory, and so I'm simply joining him today in the victory lap of the race that he's already, already won. That's your case as well. But we want to do that well with this idea in mind. Somebody else is going to do this job. And those of you who are new to leadership, you're coming into a role. We want you to run well. We want you to take that baton and, and do well for the kingdom, but with the understanding that whether it's two years, three years, five years, nine years, whatever it is down the road, you're going to be handing that baton off to someone else. We see Paul telling Timothy, entrust this to other people. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. The second point looks like this. When I hear Paul's writing, he gets to verse 3, and he says, join me in suffering. And I cannot uh, pull myself away from what we're calling in this point an invitation to pain. It is a peculiar way to do some recruiting, is it not? I mean, when you think about when you've asked people to do something with you or when you've tried to build up a team of your own, we say things like this. You know what? You're going to love this job. This is going to be great. You are, you are suited for this. I see God's gifting in your life, and I see the need that's there. I think you're going to love this. Uh, maybe you have to say it this way. You say, look, we'd love for you to do this and and it's not going to be that bad. It, it might, be, might feel like a lot of work, but it's not that bad. But I've never heard somebody say, hey, who wants to suffer? Are you in? Hey, new leaders, guess what? We are inviting you to suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, some of you are thinking, what exactly did I sign up for here? But I actually want you to see today that that's actually not too far off the mark at all from what Christian leadership really boils down to. Paul says it this way. He says, join me in suffering like a good soldier in Christ Jesus. And then he unpacks three metaphors that we're going to look at here a little bit in this point. But I want, you to, I want to share with you a quote, and uh, I've shared this quote in its entirety in previous messages. This was something that very new in my uh, ministry uh, I was given this when I was at a conference from an older leader who actually gave me a laminated copy of this thing. It's from an unknown author, and we have it here that I would like to read and, and maybe reference a couple pieces of it to you today. This is what it says. Leadership. You can exercise and sustain personal leadership only to the extent of your capacity to bear pain. If you can bear only your own pain, then you really can't lead. If you can respond to and bear only the pain of your family, then your family represents the full scope of your leadership potential. And then he, he goes on to say that if, if by God's grace you can recognize and bear the pain of those around you, then that will actually determine the breadth of your leadership potential. It is the scope of the burden that you are able to bear. Now think about this in the context of what Paul is saying to Timothy. He says, I want you to join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now when I read 
quotes like this and I look at scriptures like this, I'm forced to ask myself the question, and I would encourage you to do the same thing, am I really leading according to the way that Christ has called me? Am I really willing to pay the price? Am I willing to lead in a, in a Christ-like manner? This quote ends up by saying, to be sure, there's a kind of leadership that can rouse people to action for a short time, but enduring leadership invariably will be built upon a confidence that those whom you call leader would sacrifice themselves not only for the cause they share with you, but even for you yourself. See, I see here Paul is giving an honest invitation to Timothy. There are times this is going to hurt because you are going to be bearing the pain of others as well as your own. But then look at the metaphors that Paul gives us. And 2 Timothy, as it carries on, look in, your, look in your Bible. It says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similar, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So let's reflect on that. This is the instruction right from Scripture. Look at these three examples that Paul gives. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And no, this is not the start of a joke, and no, they did not walk into a bar. A soldier. A soldier understands interdependence in a very powerful way. You know, when Paul says a soldier's not getting caught up in civilian affairs, it doesn't mean a soldier doesn't have a life, doesn't mean he doesn't have or she doesn't have things that they're doing uh, outside, but when they are on duty, they are not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about the goal in mind, they're thinking about the person to their right, the person to their left, and Paul says that's exactly the kind of, of, of suffering that we do when we think like soldiers. We think interdependently. And that's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Even the reference that we gave just a few moments ago to Romans chapter 5. You're the body of Christ. Each of you has a part in it. Each of you has a thing that you do and we belong to one another. He gives the illustration of an athlete. And the thing about an athlete is an athlete understands discipline. If an, if an athlete is going to be fit for service, an athlete knows they need to stay in shape. Uh, this is something that we fight against as we get older. I just thought about this the other day when I was, out, uh, I was out in my yard. I was shoveling some space for our little dog. I slipped and I fell flat on my back and I thought to myself, I'm getting a little too old for this. I'm not always feeling as in shape as I would want to be. Checked myself. I was okay. Uh, Move forward. Um, Paul gives the, the notion of a farmer. You know, I think the, the thing about a farmer... I've worked for farmers. Uh, I've never run my own farm, but there is something about that profession, there is something about that calling whereby one must understand preparation and one must understand seasons, planting and harvest. These do not just happen. They come with significant planning and preparation and understanding. Well, when I think about these uh, examples that Paul gives, there's a few similarities we see all of these examples are hardworking. You know, especially when I think about, you know, the soldier, the, the athlete, the farmer. You know, a, a lazy farmer. Do you know what a lazy farmer does? 
something else. They don't farm. I mean, I, that was the thing that struck me as I grew up and watching families that I knew that farmed is the amount of work, the amount of days off that they didn't take because they were always on the job. So there, there is a hard-working notion to all of these. Uh, there's an example in all of these of, of self-denial. So when Paul is calling Timothy, he's saying, listen, I'm calling you to understand self-denial. Uh, all of these examples have goals in view. So nobody trains for military service. Nobody trains for an athletic game. Nobody, nobody farms the land without the idea of having a goal in view. And so there is a very real invitation that Paul is giving Timothy. He said, I want you to understand that your calling is one to bear the sufferings of others. This is not going to be easy. This is not going to be for the faint of heart. But what in the world would make this worth it? Well, if there is a goal that would supersede the pain, if there is a goal that would make all of this investment and all of this self-denial worth it, then you're going to actually find this calling to be a joy rather than a burden. And that brings us to our third point. I want you to see this ultimate pursuit that Paul unpacks in 2 Timothy 2. He says, remember Jesus Christ. He's raised from the dead, descended from, from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained, he says. Therefore, I endure. And there's that key word. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So what I'd like you to see in this last point is this. You know, if it, we, have certain, we have certain expectations that we ask our leadership uh, to embrace, not only to embrace, but to champion. And, and I want to actually challenge you with a few of those today. These are very simple. This is not rocket science. Anytime that I've spoken to one of our leadership teams about this, I've always said this. This is not rocket science. And if I were to ask you to come up with a list, you would probably come up with something that would be very similar to this. But the fact of the matter is this. If we don't have a level of expectation, a level of calling up, a level of sort of common vocabulary that says, look, these are the things that we're going after, we're never going to achieve the things that we ultimately need to achieve. But if all we're trying to do is, is promote and understand the rules of leadership, we'll fall short because those rules will never sustain us for long-term uh, leadership. We need something greater than your desire or something greater than just simply doing something well or having some kind of strict oversight from your supervisor. What is the ultimate goal? That's what we're going to get to here in just a moment. But let me give you a couple of the expectations that we call our non-negotiables of servant leadership. This will impact any leadership team that you are on, any leadership team that you have been a part of. Number one is this. We want you to have a positive attitude. You know, that sounds so basic, but listen, healthy leaders bring a positive attitude. They resist that notion, that, that idea of getting kind of caught up in, in gossip or backbiting, things like that. They will seek to live and serve peaceably among their brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. So when, when I started uh, in my current role here as the lead pastor, I just said, look, every team, we've got to embrace this. It's just very basic, it's very simple, but we've got to undo the bad habits that we're easily, all of us can fall into, of just starting from a negative place, starting from a place of no, but rather saying, okay, 
what's God doing here? What, what am I called to do? What am I called to embrace? Just simply having a positive attitude. Having a life of integrity. Uh, if this is not uh, germane to our, our, our current uh, circumstances and, and needs in our world, then I don't know what is. Healthy leaders watch their lives and doctrine closely to maintain a godly example to those in our church and to those in our community. When we fail in this area, it does incredible harm to the witness in the body of Christ. So we've got to live a life of integrity. If you want to lead well, you've got to have a life of integrity. A teachable spirit. This is absolutely huge. I love the fact that in our church, we have brothers and sisters that are modeling a teachable spirit into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. I absolutely love that. You are never too old to have a teachable spirit. Healthy leaders understand the importance of submission to authority. They're willing to accept correction. I have seen this at every level. It's a blessing. Uh, it helps us to grow as leaders. Uh, number four, a pattern uh, of commitment. Uh, healthy leaders are committed to their local church, and they show that commitment through membership. They throw, show that commitment through active involvement. Just simply saying, look, if this is where God has planted me, this is where I will bloom. Uh, and then this last one, again, we, we hear it through the message today, and I think it's just so vitally important that, that we are committed by God's grace to being a blessing to the next generation. Uh, someone else is going to do this job. Someone else is going to fill these shoes. What will we leave behind? Uh, I'll tell you what, th this again, this, this is such a game changer when you see leaders that are saying, not only are we not resisting what God is doing in the next generation, but we are blessing what God is doing in the next generation. We are praying for what God is doing in the next generation, and we're excited to see that. That has continued to be a hallmark of our leadership here, and we want to see you embrace that as well. Healthy leaders invest in others and leave a legacy that goes beyond themselves. These are some of the rules. These are some of the ground rules that we ask our people uh, that are in any, any place of leadership to embrace and to champion. But rule following will never get us to our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is what? Paul saying to Timothy, he said, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Leader, I want to ask you to answer the question, what is your ultimate goal? What is it that will keep you moving when the compliments have dried up? What is it that will keep you grounded? What will be your grounding principle? What will be your ultimate goal? And if you say, you know, good performance or, or making sure that I, I'm noted for how I run my race or something like that, eventually it's going to dry up. But when you say, you know what, my ultimate goal is that Jesus Christ would be known. And if by some portion of my life and efforts, if by some portion of my leadership, people would see Jesus more clearly and Jesus would receive the glory long after my name is forgotten, that would be my goal. That, I believe, is what kept Paul strongly leading even as he was in a, in a prison cell and writing to his protege to say, it's going to be your lap to take next. It's going to be your turn to step up next. And as we get ready for the communion table today, I want you to receive a commission 
as you lead in your various forms, to take a moment, even this morning, to be quiet before the Lord and to say, Lord, what would you have me do in this season? What will my leadership and legacy look like as I lead toward hope? And so I would like you to just be, be still for a moment to receive this as a commission from the Lord. I want to say a few words to you, specifically our leaders here at State College Alliance Church. First of all, I want to say this. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your willingness to put your leadership gifts and talents into circulation, into this wonderful, living, growing, breathing thing called the church. We recognize that you've got a life outside of the things that are happening here, and that when you say yes to your area of leadership, that you have chosen to say no to something else. You have made and are making sacrifices that we acknowledge today as we say thank you for your service. The second thing I want to acknowledge is this. You are a vital part of the body of Christ. Your role and the ways in which you choose to serve will have an effect that will carry on for generations to come, even into eternity. Now some of you are saying, come on, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just helping out with this hospitality need. I'm just helping out on the mission team. I'm just helping out with, with leading one of our, our music ministries. Listen, the way that you do that is so vitally important because it will ripple out for generations to come. So that, this is the thought that I come back to year after year, one day, long after you are gone, and long after I am gone, long after our names are forgotten, if Christ has not come back yet, there are people that will step into a new relationship with Christ. There will, people, there will be people who will build on the foundation that you have laid long ago. Someone will be encouraged. Someone will be healed. The life-giving power of the Gospel will be made manifest in that generation because they will stand on the foundation that you have helped to build by God's grace. You are a vital part of the body of Christ. And so today, leaders, we commission you in your role of service to our good King. Remember that your calling is not a task, but first and foremost, it is to a person, Jesus Christ. May all that you do be dependent on Him. And may you experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as you lead and as you serve. And so we would simply ask you today, as you sit quietly before the Lord, ask yourself the question, will you pledge today to serve with humility? Will you seek the benefit of others? Will you embrace your role as part of a beautiful big picture and realizing that you or your ministry is not the big picture in and of itself. Will you watch your life and doctrine carefully, remembering that you represent not only our church, but the Savior whose glory this church exists for? And will you submit to those in authority over you so that their task may be a joy and not a burden? I think we've given you some things to reflect on today regardless of your station in leadership, regardless of where God would call you to lead. I believe if you take some of these Second Timothy principles to heart, God will increase your leadership and he will expand his kingdom. Let's take a few moments right now, church, 
to prepare our hearts. We'll pray and then uh, give you a few moments to prepare your hearts for the communion table. So Jesus, we thank you that as we put our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that you give us incredible strength to endure, that you fill us with your hope, that you overflow us with your hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that those hearing this message today would embrace a greater sense of their sphere of influence, their call to be a Christ follower, an influencer for him in this world. And Jesus, we pray that the life of Christ would be made manifest in us. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to look in the mirror with deep humility. We see the flaws in and of ourselves. We see the places that we still need to grow as a leader. And so we invite you, Lord, even now to refine and to help us to give us everything we need in this season. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to cause the leadership in this church to thrive in all of the ways that you want, to, that you want it to. We give you these leaders. We commit them to you. We commit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.